Well, it was 1,221 days ago that the World Health Organization was informed of the COVID virus in Wuhan, China. On January 30th, 2020, the World Health Organization declared it a global emergency. Well, today the World Health Organization downgraded its assessment of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, saying it no longer qualifies as a global emergency. Uh, the World Health Organization's Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus said that the pandemic has been on a downward trend for more than a year. However, he says the world needs to remain vigilant. Take a listen. It's therefore with great hope that I declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency. However, that does not mean COVID-19 is over as a global health threat. Last week, COVID-19 claimed life every three minutes. And that's just the death we know about. As we speak, thousands of people around the world are fighting for their lives in intensive care units. And millions more continue to live with the debilitating effects of post-COVID-19 condition. This virus is here to stay. It's still killing and it's still changing. The risk remains of a new of new variants emerging that cause new surges in cases and deaths. The worst thing any country could do now is to use this news as a reason to let down its guard to dismantle the systems it has built, or to send the message to its people that COVID-19 is nothing to worry about. What this news means is that it's time for countries to transition from emergency mode to managing COVID-19 alongside other infectious diseases. That is the Director General Tedros uh, Ghebreyesus of the World Health Organization. Joining me now, Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, a man who I'm going to, I don't even know how many uh, briefings he attended with, uh, Adrian Dix, our Health Minister, and Provincial Health Officer, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry. Keith, welcome. Do you have an idea how many of those briefings you actually uh, attended? About 250, a little more than 250 um, in terms of participating in them. It was quite a quite an extraordinary experience, particularly in the first couple of years of the pandemic, the first year and a half when things were so intense. If you recall, people people would actually stop me on the street and ask me, what's the case number today? How many deaths? You know, knowing I had the numbers every day. Um, and it's just a, sort of an extraordinary journey. But today's announcement, I think, strikes everyone as almost an anticlimactic announcement because I think psychologically so many of us we're in a different space over the last number of months than we were, obviously, at the height of the pandemic. So I think a lot of people just thought the emergency was over. The pandemic's technically not over. And COVID-19, as the Director General just said, is not disappearing. It's here likely to stay, albeit in a much less menacing form because our vaccination rates are so high. And we are, you know, employing... Um, different types of behavior than we did before. You've seen a lot more people wear masks, you know. it's uh, People are, by habit, keeping their distance sometimes. I've noticed that in supermarkets. People aren't crowding together the same way they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's here to stay, but we're in a different different um, level now. And it's right. quite, a quite extraordinary development. Let's touch on what you think uh, we've done well in regards to just the, the response on the health side. What did we do well? What we what didn't we what did what what were some of the negatives in regards to our response within the system? I'm always hesitant, having been deeply immersed in this for so long, to look back in hindsight and say, well, we should have done this and should have done that, because this was an extraordinary situation. We never really knew 
what to expect here. And I remember one of the very first briefings, I asked Dr. Henry about her power to issue public health orders. And she said, you know what, I'm not a big fan of public health orders. And even though she's issued a number of them, they're far less in number than in a lot of other jurisdictions. And in that respect, I think we got that right, or she got that right, where we didn't have overly restrictive measures. We didn't shutter the, the, the society down. Um, for the longest period of time in this country, you couldn't get a sit-down restaurant meal uh, west of Quebec unless you were in B.C. Um, you had... Uh, um, far more restrictions in Alberta and, and Ontario and parts of Quebec where they had curfews. We never did that. I think that worked. Where I think Bonnie Henry and Adrian Nix will admit where we probably could have done better was in our long-term care homes at the beginning, where that's where the deaths were. If you recall, the Lynn Valley care home, more than 30 residents died there. Um, we had a number of other care homes really hit hard, where... Perhaps in retrospect, it, you know, it's easy to say when we didn't never gone through anything like this before. Maybe we should have done something different in the care homes, because those are the most vulnerable people. And keep in mind, this was before we had vaccines. When we before we had vaccines, things looked really frightening. You know, cast your your mind back to March and April of 2020 when the streets were deserted. Everyone was at home. No one was in the. No one was driving. No one was walking. There were severe restrictions on shopping and such. Uh, and it was frightening because the deaths were starting to mount uh, and we had no vaccines in sight. And then suddenly the vaccines appeared and that changed everything. Mm-hmm. Now, broadly, you've sort of touched on some of the healthcare challenges. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, fiscal. Uh, and it's more federal than, than provincial, but mm-hmm. we piled on tons and tons of debt, um, which has led to inflation and something we're trying to deal with now. And we're heading in the right direction. It's going to take a little bit more time. Uh, but it's led to a significant uh, challenge when it comes to inflation. Um, do you think we could have done better there? And I know you, you're hesitant, and I get where you're coming from, uh, because in the case of the federal government, they threw a lot of money at this, number one. And, yeah. and, and in hindsight, there's, there, were, there weren't enough mechanisms in place to make sure the system, uh, we properly used those dollars. There was uh, cases of where... Uh, we probably should demand more accountability as to where those dollars were going, whether it be to corporations or to individuals who probably could be working in some cases. Yeah. I mean, the fiscal challenge is significant the amount of debt we've piled on because of this. Well, there's, I think I wouldn't call it panic at the beginning, but there was a bit of uh, there was quite a state of alarm. Was that our economy about to completely tank? because so many jobs were instantly lost and others were working from home. And so the traditional economic activity also disappeared. People weren't spending money like they used to. They were were saving things. People were hoarding goods and materials. The supply chain broke down. Um, All sorts of things were were looking like a disaster. So the federal government moved in very aggressively and spent a lot of money. I mean, the CERB, uh, I mean, there were some unintended consequences with the CERB where it was a motivation not to come back to work. For, for many people. that we Numerous shows on NW had restaurant owners pleading for young people to come back, but they were making more on, with CERB than they were necessarily to work a, a nine-to-five job or 40 hours a week. So those are some of the things I think in retrospect probably could have been handled a little better, a little more oversight and accountability on some of the aid programs. But now we're at a spot where, as you say, inflation is starting to come down. And maybe this was the inevitable price we had to pay to get the country and society through this extraordinary situation. Our guest is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. We're uh, talking about COVID and, of course, uh, how we as a province and as a country have... um, uh, 
dealt with COVID, uh, the health implications, the fiscal implications, um, the economy, when you, th- when you talk about supply chain, the political repercussions, even the te- technological implications of, you know, working from home. Um, would love to hear from you in regards to what you think we did well and perhaps things we can improve on as well. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell phone. Our guest is Keith Baldry, BC's uh, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, who has covered more than a fair brief, few briefings with uh, uh, Adrian Dix and, of course, uh, Bonnie Henry as well. Let's go to the open line. Let's go to Josh in Vancouver. Hi, Josh. Hey, Jazz. I think one of the craziest things to come out of this is this uh, this division between the, you know, the so-called anti-vaxxers and the vaxxers. Like, I have friends who, if the word COVID comes up, I will just leave the room because I know what's coming. And it just it just seems like that division is, is almost here to stay. I've never seen it before in Canada. So definitely the worst thing, I think, to come out of this. Yeah. Well, well, 85% of us in BC have had two doses. So I think the anti-vax crowd is very small. Uh, but I've been tracking this since day one. I can tell you that the largest number of unvaccinated people are in the Peace River area. And that's a different place than B.C. So that's, there's different attitudes up there. Uh, 90, more than 90% of us had at least one dose. Half the population have had um, uh, three doses or more. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'd say the anti-vaxxers, well, they can be loud, I suppose, but they are certainly much lower in profile than there were at times when the vaccination program first began. So the vast majority of the people listening right now have had at least two doses. Yeah, there is that uh, silent majority and, and you know, you're, everybody's entitled to their opinion and uh, they, they know what's best for them and their body. But, you know, I think um, the vitriol now is, uh, in this at this moment, seems to be directed more at, uh, at Justin Trudeau and, and, and it's become much more political than that other conversation. But I'm, I'm sure you'll hear a lot more of it during the next federal election, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, let's go to Marilyn in Abbotsford. Hi, Marilyn. Hi there. Um, Keith, I really take exception to a couple of things you said. I think you need to get out in the public a bit more. Uh, there are uh, there are no, no more there are fewer mask wearing people than ever before. My of course there and is. I, of course first, there is. Well, but listen to can I finish? <laughs> My daughter and I went to two different concerts this last week. We were the only ones of four in the whole audience wearing masks. Uh, nobody's wearing masks these days, including at school. She's a school teacher. She's only one of three in the whole school that wears them. Nevertheless, she came down with COVID. She is extremely ill in spite of having all her shots. Uh, the thought that now it seems to be over and we got to live with it and, and uh, just no mask wearing in public health places, in the hospitals or anything. And I'm not putting this on you. I'm saying I'm on Henry and Adrian. Uh, this is wrong, and we're going to live with it for years. Marilyn, uh, thank you for your call. Uh, Keith? Pretty well mirror the, the policy in pretty well every jurisdiction now. There's very few mask mandates anywhere, so BC's hardly an outlier on this. There was some controversy in some quarters when uh, Dr. Henry got rid of the mask mandate in hospitals and healthcare facilities. I think that will likely be a debate for some time. I can tell you the BC legislature, there's a lot of tourists in this building, I can tell you that, about 1,000 people a day. I'd say about 10 to 15 percent of the people wear masks. So it's a very low percentage. I mean, we're definitely seeing way more mask wearing than we saw before the pandemic was even declared. I mean, there was zero mask wearing uh, before the pandemic. Now there's a little bit. But the caller for adversary, there is still a, a component out there who advocate continued strong measures, whether it's mandatory mask wearing in a lot of situations, 
um, continued improvements to ventilation. Some still advocate for closing schools. There continues to be a COVID zero, as it's called, element out there that wants much more and continued restrictions. But that's not where the public is at. That's very much a minority view. And public health is all along try to uh, follow along where public opinion is and not to be too far ahead of it or too far behind it. But right now, the public, I think, is on side if, with relaxation of measures. If you made mass mandatory right now, boy, uh, most people wouldn't. Wouldn't, no. wouldn't do it. They just Total wouldn't. Rebellion. No, it's it's you got to have some sort of social cohesion there, and and, and I think that it's the right thing to do. Uh, let's go to Michael in Vancouver. Hi, Michael. Hi, Jazz. What are your thoughts? Hi, I just want to say that I'm so proud to be a Canadian because we gone through uh, the pandemic uh, with our health held high. I think we came out a bit. Uh, pretty good. High sight is 2020, obviously, mm-hmm. but you should have been to some other countries like Vietnam or Thailand and see the devastation there. Uh, I lost my dad during the pandemic, but I can tell you it could have been a lot, a lot worse. I'm very proud of our government, of uh, my fellow Canadians, and I know that the vocal minority, um, the convoy truck, the truckers' uh, convoys and all that, but those are minorities, tiny, uh, tiny minorities, which is very vocal because they've been egged on by people like the conservatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we came out of this uh, pretty well, let yep. me tell you. Michael, thank you for your call. Appreciate it, Keith. We've got about 30 seconds. Uh, your final words on it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a tiny minority of that of that point of view, whether it's a trucker convoy or just the, the anti-public health measure protest, but probably maybe 20, all the polls I've seen, maybe 20 or 25% of the population subscribes to that. But that, again, is a minority. I think the majority are very happy with the declaration today that the emergency is over because in many people's mind, the emergency was over some months ago. Keith, thank you. Have a great weekend.